Hello everybody and welcome to another instalment in a series of Pillsbury in-flight audio podcasts. In today's podcast, we'll explore the very relevant topic of LIBOR discontinuation, including approaches to LIBOR transition in both the UK and the US, and practical considerations for banks, lessors, and airlines alike. My name is Chris Knight, counsel in the London office of Pillsbury's Asset Finance team, and I am delighted to be joined by Melissa Jones-Pruce, a partner in our Asset Finance team based in New York, and Victoria Judd, counsel in our finance team based in London. First, let's briefly take a step back. Victoria, what is LIBOR? And Melissa, why is LIBOR being discontinued? Thanks, Chris. LIBOR is the London Interbank Offered Rate. It measures the average rate at which banks are willing to borrow funds in the London Interbank market. It's calculated based on submissions from a group of panel banks. Each bank uses data and their expert judgment for the purpose of their submissions. It's fair to say that LIBOR is possibly the most important global benchmark for calculating interest, underpinning about 370 trillion US dollars of financial contracts, including loans, debt securities, derivatives, and mortgages. It has 35 settings with five currencies, including US dollar, sterling, and euro, across seven time periods from overnight to 12 months. To your second question, Chris, following the 2007-2008 financial crisis, a light was shone on the widespread allegations of LIBOR manipulation by a number of financial institutions dating back to the early 2000s. As a result, in recent years, fewer banks have been reporting their LIBOR rates. Among those that do continue to report LIBOR, the reporting has been based on fewer transactions as more stringent bank capital requirements have resulted in significantly reduced transaction volumes in the unsecured interbank lending market. Consequently, LIBOR has become less representative of the underlying market and more reliant on expert judgment. These factors taken together called into question the long-term sustainability of LIBOR as a reliable interest rate benchmark. The result, as we know, was that from as early as 2014, a number of jurisdictions set up working groups to explore possible alternative risk-free rates to LIBOR. This includes the Alternative Reference Rate Committee, or ARC for short in the US, and the Loan Market Association, or LMA for short in the UK. Right. And then in 2017, the UK's Financial Conduct Authority announced that market participants should not rely on LIBOR being available after 2021. And of course, this all matters to the aviation industry because the overwhelming majority of aircraft loans and leases are US dollar denominated and use US dollar LIBOR as their benchmark rate. Now, Victoria, what is the latest information on the timing for LIBOR cessation? Well, Chris, in March this year, the entity responsible for publishing LIBOR rates, the ICE Benchmark Administration, announced that almost all LIBOR settings would cease to be published after 31st of December 2021. This includes sterling, euro, Japanese yen, and Swiss franc LIBOR settings, as well as the one-week and two-month US dollar LIBOR settings. The exception is for certain US dollar LIBOR settings, namely overnight and 1, 3, 6, and 12-month US dollar LIBOR. These will cease to be published after 30th of June 2023, although the publication of a synthetic form of 1, 3, and 6-month US dollar LIBOR is a possibility to assist with what are known as tough legacy contracts. These are contracts that will not realistically be able to be renegotiated or amended to transition to an alternative benchmark before LIBOR stops being published. 
Okay. And so as aircraft financing arrangements generally use one month or three month US dollar LIBOR, the June 2023 LIBOR discontinuation date applies to most, if not all, relevant aviation transactions. With this date getting closer, regulators are strongly encouraging the movement away from LIBOR as soon as possible in existing transactions. What about new transactions? Melissa, should parties be avoiding using LIBOR here? That's what regulators are recommending, Chris. The ARC in the U.S., for example, has repeatedly emphasized that no new LIBOR-based loans should be entered into after December 31st of this year, warning that the failure to follow this advice would create, quote, safety and soundness risks for the financial system. So with LIBOR due to fall away, it begs the question, what replacement benchmark should be used? The first point to note here is that given country-specific independent working groups are dealing with LIBOR replacement separately, there will no longer be a uniform benchmark rate for the various LIBOR currencies. For example, the LMA in the UK has recommended the reformed Sterling Overnight Index Average, otherwise known as SONIA, for Sterling LIBOR, whereas in Europe, the working group on euro risk-free rates has recommended the euro short-term rate for euro LIBOR. Melissa, what's the position in the US? The ARC has long recommended SOFR, which stands for Secured Overnight Financing Rate, as the preferred replacement for U.S. dollar LIBOR. But SOFR, by its nature, is a cost of borrowing cash overnight, so it's not forward-looking. SOFR has accordingly not historically been a term-based rate like LIBOR. However, in connection with the LIBOR transition, the ARC recommended the development and use of a term SOFR rate as the preferred option among various LIBOR alternatives. The derivatives marketplace CME Group responded to this call and this past July announced that it had developed a term SOFR reference rate that would be administered by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. The CME Group's term SOFR rate has been formally endorsed by the ARC now, uh, which was a critical milestone for LIBOR replacement. Although term SOFR had been the preferred fallback to U.S. dollar LIBOR for some time, until this past summer, it was a theoretical concept and not a real benchmark. What is the benefit of a term-based rate versus traditional SOFR? Terms so far like LIBOR is forward-looking, which allows for a more seamless transition for LIBOR-based contracts. It also creates greater certainty than simple SOFR because transaction parties will know in advance the benchmark interest rate that will be applicable for each interest period. In many ways, term SOFR affords the best of both worlds, because on the one hand, it's a risk-free rate since it's based on actual cleared transactions in the marketplace, and it's therefore less susceptible to being manipulated than LIBOR. And on the other hand, term SOFR, because it is a term rate, will be a close stand-in for LIBOR from both a documentary and operational perspective. We should also note that SOFRA, unlike LIBOR, is a secured rate. It is therefore generally a lower rate than LIBOR, which includes a credit risk premium. How will this be addressed in loan documentation, Melissa? Well, SOFRA-based loan agreements will need to incorporate a spread adjustment to address the difference between the unsecured and generally higher LIBOR rate and the secured and therefore generally lower SOFRA rate. The ARC has recommended a static spread adjustment, which was uh, obtained by calculating the five-year historical median difference between LIBOR and SOFR, as set in March of this year. And while this makes a lot of sense, there are some issues associated with it. One concern, for example, is that the spread between LIBOR and SOFR is currently much less than the ARC's recommended spread adjustment because interest rates are currently so close to zero. So this means that a loan price at SOFR plus the ARC spread adjustment today will have a higher all-in cost than a similar LIBOR-based loan would. So 
Melissa, it seems that the ARC's approach, whilst well-founded, is not economically neutral in the current interest rate climate and will tend to benefit lenders, so for borrowers? That's right, Victoria. The LSTA and others um, have noticed this as well and have accordingly been discussing possible alternatives to the ARC spread adjustment to account for this imbalance, um, including, for example, a spot spread adjustment, a spot spread adjustment that uh, has graduated increases or a flip to the ARC spread adjustment at LIBOR cessation. Other options include a negotiated spread adjustment for each transaction, or even no spread adjustment at all, coupled instead with a margin adjustment. Each approach has its own strengths and weaknesses, which we don't have time to get into today, but I did want to highlight for our listeners that market practice has not quite converged around the ARC-recommended spread adjustment, and that they may be seeing and asked to consider some of these alternative approaches in the coming months. Turning then to documentation, how should parties be dealing with LIBOR transition? Well, unless the parties decide to enter into SOFR-based loans from the get-go, which we're not quite uh, currently seeing in the aviation finance space, hardwired fallback language should be included in both new deals and legacy U.S. dollar LIBOR deals, so that upon the occurrence of a rate switch trigger event, the benchmark rate will automatically convert to the new rate. And, you know, although uptake of the hardwired approach was initially quite slow in our space, I would say in the last six months or so, it has been become market standard. And what does the typical hardwired language look like, Melissa? Lenders and borrowers in the U.S. are generally aligned on this, and, and they tend to use the ARC's recommended hardwired language, although there is sometimes some negotiation around trigger events and borrower consent rights. The recommended language sets out a hierarchy of fallback rates, first um, being the term SOFR rate, and second, a compounded daily SOFR rate, in each case plus a spread adjustment. How is the Loan Market Association in the UK dealing with this, Victoria? Well, Chris, as with the LSTA, the LMA initially proposed a deferred agreement to agree approach triggered by the occurrence of a replacement screen rate event. The LMA has since been encouraging parties to agree terms for conversion of the benchmark rate in advance via its own hardwired fallback provisions contained in its recommended form of the multi-currency rate switch agreement. And we are seeing some new deals include this language. The provisions enable the switch from LIBOR to SOFRA or SONIA, amongst others. Okay. And are there any differences in approach to the hardwired language between the LMA and the ARC? Yes, there are a few. Um, Let me tell you some of them now. So first, the reference rate trigger. Both the LMA and the ARC language contain a number of possible LIBOR permanent cessation triggers. But the LMA, unlike the ARC, includes the possibility of a backstop rate switch date. So if agreed by the parties, LIBOR transition mechanics would then kick in at that date, even failing the occurrence of a rate switch trigger event date. The second difference, and the main difference to the U.S. approach, is the constitution of the LIBOR replacement. So the LMA wording refers to a backward-looking rate calculated in arrears. In contrast, and as Melissa has already noted, the ARC hardwired language provides for a waterfall, starting with a forward-looking term SOFRA. Though a term SONIA rate is available in the U.K., from the LMA's perspective, use of term risk-free rates is discouraged as risk-free rates compounded in arrears are considered much more robust and reliable. As a third difference, and as Melissa mentioned, the ARC has suggested a static fixed spread adjustment, though alternatives 
are still being discussed. Conversely, under the LMA documentation, a spread adjustment is to be determined by the parties on a case-by-case basis. And are there any other observations to make with regard to the LMA rate switch language? Yes, I would add that the parties are also left to determine a number of commercial decisions, including, for instance, the applicability or otherwise of break costs and the market disruption provisions, and also the length of the look-back period. Five days um, tends to be the convention and it's the starting position, but the commercial parties have some flexibility. So in respect of loan, lease or other agreements referencing US dollar LIBOR, should the ARC or LMA language be used? And does this answer depend on what the governing law is? Well, Chris, the parties are actually free to choose. There's no obligation to follow one drafting convention over the other. That said, the New York loan market and the field of aviation finance are closely intertwined. Um, So it will be interesting to see if this has any bearing on the ARC rate switch language being more widely adopted than the corresponding LMA language. So, Melissa, Victoria, what steps would you recommend lenders and borrowers take now to address legacy transactions? Well, the first step is for everyone to review their transactions, Chris, and identify those that mature after June 2023 and among those which are LIBOR-based. Those LIBOR-based contracts extending beyond June 2023 will need to be amended prior to the discontinuation of LIBOR. Now, where these transactions do not address the discontinuation and replacement of LIBOR at all, I would recommend that parties start the discussion on the path forward now. I think it would be prudent to enter into an amendment agreeing to the hardwired fallback language as soon as possible to avoid having to deal with this at the 11th hour. In deals where the discontinuation of LIBOR is addressed, but the documents contemplate an amendment um, to implement the replacement benchmark, parties should consider whether the agent can determine the benchmark independently or if the borrower has consent rights. If the borrower does have consent rights, I would again recommend that parties start the discussion sooner rather than later. On the other hand, if the agent can determine and implement the replacement benchmark independently, there's a bit less of a rush, and there will likely be some value in implementing the replacement in conjunction with other similar amendments being undertaken throughout the agent's loan loan portfolio. I would also suggest that uh, where parties do have amendment language in their documents, that they check whether the IBA announcement as to LIBOR cessation this past March would have already constituted a replacement screen rate event under their documents. Another thing to look for when reviewing existing contracts is loans or leases which are not floating rate or LIBOR-based contracts per se, but which still reference LIBOR in some respect. For example, in default rate definitions, make-whole provisions, or formulas for calculating notional fixed rate breakage. These provisions also need to be amended, although it seems like the full hardwired fallback language may be overkill if the use of LIBOR in the contract is otherwise limited to just these sorts of items. I completely agree, Victoria. In in these circumstances, we aren't generally seeing hardwired SOFR language being included and nor would we recommend it. Instead, parties can use rates based on the prime rate, the Federal Reserve's federal funds rate, or flat rates. What are you seeing in the UK? tends to be the Bank of England's base rate in the UK. Makes sense. So overall, the message seems to be that all counterparties should engage with one another on this topic now. Absolutely, Chris. As we all know, aircraft finance transactions are complex and there are often a large number of players involved. Early engagement and efficient coordination between all interested parties is really key. 
borrowers and especially aircraft lessors who take charge of the process will be better able to align their post-LIBOR benchmarks across their loans, swaps, and operating leases. Thanks, Melissa. You just mentioned swaps. Is there a specific concern there? Well, given that the purpose of of swaps is to mitigate a party's exposure to the risk of an adverse movement in interest rates, it's critical that there are no mismatches among the loan, lease, and swap documents with respect to LIBOR replacement triggers and mechanics. Otherwise, payment mismatches and associated liabilities could arise. Okay. And Victoria, are there any other relevant considerations? Yes. There are. So uh, we've already mentioned parties needing to think about the application or otherwise of freight costs and market disruption provisions. Notice periods for prepayment should also be aligned with look back periods. And on a more practical note, internal company operations insofar as they relate to LIBOR will need to be reconfigured to accommodate the alternative replacement benchmark. So in summary, the LIBOR cessation deadline is fast approaching. Most aircraft finance transactions will have until 30th of June 2023, but this should not diminish the need to engage with the issue on an expedited basis. Parties should audit all deals now, engage with counterparties as soon as possible, and either move straight to a risk-free rate or adopt hardwired fallback language, with the ARC and the LMA offering helpful drafting guidance here. Well, everybody, that's all we have time for. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. And if so, please do give it a big thumbs up on whatever media platform you've listened to it on. 